talking about destiny. We're going to share. We're not going to do small groups today. We're going to share. So I want to uh, get you ready for it. How, how do we walk in to our destiny? What, what do we do to get ready for that? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you five steps. I gave you four last week, and I'm, gonna, I'm adding one. You pray it, you say it, you weigh it, you pay it, and you obey it. Say it. Pray it. Say it. Okay. That's right. So we're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 1. We want to know how. How do you walk out? How do you know it's God? How do you know God's telling you? When's the timing of it? How do you, do you wait? You wait for 20 years like I did for something? Or do you just jump in with both feet hoping that God's behind you? That would be stupid. Turn to Nehemiah. You've got to have a Bible. There are Bibles sitting up there. I want you all to have a Bible, access to a Bible. Sitting them up, uh, up, up on the steps. You didn't uh, bring one. We'll get you one. So everybody, I want you to be able to see one. Here's one. Here's a Bible right here. Anybody not have one in this row? Here's one if you need one. Nehemiah, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms. So if you find the Psalms, just go left. So Nehemiah 1, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, when I was in the citadel of Susa. What's a good Jewish boy doing in the citadel of Susa? Back up what? Captivity. Back up one book to Ezra. In the first year of Cyrus, you heard that name in seventh grade world history. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia to make a proclamation throughout his realm and put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven. Oh my, this is a Gentile, this is a pagan king. And what did God do? God said, I want to use Cyrus. So he chooses him. He moves on his heart. It appears that he may have been converted. Listen to the way he talks. The Lord, that means Yahweh. That's the word for Yahweh. The God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. Doesn't sound like Nebuchadnezzar. Hooray for me. This is another dictator who has a bigger kingdom than anyone ever had had up to that point, stretching almost to India and west. And he's saying, God has given me the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him, in Jerusalem and Judah. 
Why didn't they need a temple? Babylon came in and they, they messed it up. Now Babylon has fallen to the Medo-Persians. Remember them? Medo-Persians? And Cyrus, he's listed in the scriptures. Isaiah, listen to how Isaiah talks about Cyrus. This is what the Lord says to his anointed. Isaiah 45, 1. To Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of, to subdue nations before him. Verse 13. I will raise up Cyrus, my righteousness. I will make all his ways straight. That's the power of the Almighty God who says to this one who is the most powerful person on the earth, he's nothing compared to the living God. And so God says, I want to use him. I'm going to soften his heart. Proverbs says somewhere, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it however he will. That gives me real hope. There's no ruler on earth. Obama's in nothing before God. Putin, nothing before the eternal God. At any point, God can say, that's all for you. Or, I'm raising you up. I'm going to use you. So he does that for Cyrus, a pagan, idol worshiper. And now he knows who the true God is. And he's using him as his anointed to fix the temple and bring people back. Why are they back? Because they got kicked out. Because they disobeyed God. God said, you keep doing that, you're going to lose it. So he sent them out. And when they lost their land, some of them lost their faith and said, no reason to go back. Why would we go back? And so many have left. Some have gotten positions, including a guy named Nick, uh, Nehemiah, who's the cupbearer. What does the cupbearer do? Yeah. And drinks it before the king does. And if he drops dead, the king says, no, I don't think I'll have any. <laughs> was in the citadel of Susa. Susa is east of Babylon, quite a ways. So when Nehemiah starts this trek back to Jerusalem, that's a long way. He's going through a major stretch of the Middle East. So Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and were still in Israel and also about Jerusalem. Hey, how are things? How are things in Jerusalem? They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I thank God that I lived in Susa. When I heard these things, I sat down and started a building committee. What does it say? When I heard these things, he didn't have to weep. He had it good. He had a job. 
get a home, why do you weep? Because he didn't think about himself. He thought about the people of God. He thought about their condition. This is a holy place, desecrated, not going well. And something grabbed hold of him. I sat down and wept. For some days, actually four months, I mourned. I fasted. Well, fasting means we're taking it seriously. If you fast, you're saying, hey, I'm serious, God. I mean business. And prayed before the God of heaven. If you want to walk in your destiny, you think God's speaking to you, it starts with prayer. And I want to show you just a couple things about his prayer. <clears throat> Verse 6, let your ear be attentive to your, and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant who is praying before you day and night. He's, he's praying without ceasing. He's calling out to God. For your servants, the people of Israel, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. What, what strikes you about that prayer? Pretty inclusive, isn't it? It can be easy to... to Say, so, hey, they got a problem in Jerusalem. But he actually includes himself. That's a humble way of going about it. We got a problem here. And he's already, he's already thinking about it. So he's really open to hearing from God. Let me say something about dreams. It's not yours. If God didn't give it to you, drop it anyway. Because it's not something that you possess as your right. You don't have it by virtue of, of, of being, being creative or obedient. It's really an assignment from heaven. When God did a number on Saul, who became Paul, he said, get up, go into Damascus, Acts 22, and there you will be told what you have been assigned to do. A dream is an assignment from heaven. Turn to chapter 2. Just uh, peek at the verse there. This is the clearest example I have of a definition for a dream. I set out during the night. This is chapter 2 of Nehemiah. With a few men, I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. A dream. Are they going right now? Are you leaving right now? Yeah. Okay. Let's pray for Chris. He's going, he's, uh, we'll, do, we'll do it quick. Turn, turn this off. Head to the airport. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. What are you sorry about? The security threat. To the king. Now, chapter 2. In the month of Nisan. So from Kislev to Nisan is four months. So he's been praying for four months. He's been crying out to God. Listening to God. And God turned a burden into a, an assignment. Into a dream. Into a destiny. I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? 
This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. Why was he afraid? Say it aloud. Yeah. Sodom was saying, take those guys out. That's typical of this, this kind of case. Hey, you scratch the wrong one? Hey, you're out of here. Off with your head. So his first response is, uh-oh. He sees I'm sad. I hope he didn't have a bad night. If he, if he did, he's going to take my head off. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, now, you pray it, and then you say it. I spent, I spent some time praying when I was walking over at Northwestern and God was resurrecting something in my heart. I wanted to start a, a school in California and it didn't happen. I was really disappointed. It's 20 years later and I'm praying and he starts to put this in my heart. And I said, you don't mean to tell me. You're going you're gonna to let me start a school. And I didn't share it. I just let it simmer there and it just got stronger. I was pregnant. Sorry, Laura, I was pregnant. I was pregnant. I was carrying something inside. And it was growing inside of me. I was getting stronger. To the point then, after some months, after praying it, and sensing this is of God. This is not my own thinking. I didn't plan to do this. I didn't set out. I'm going to do it. But God put it. That's what Nehemiah said. God I had not told him what God had put in my heart. And you know if it's a dream, if it's got the mark of the cross on it, and it's not for you, it's for others. This is for others. So I began to share, and I could show you in my little uh, journal who I shared it with. Shared it with Karen, shared it with my staff, shared it with a few people, and started to build a team. Because you can share the dream with the wrong people. Have you found that out? You can share something that's on your heart that you really want to do, that you, you're, you're convicted that God wants you to do it, and some people will shut you down. we got dream releasers and we got dream busters, and they'll do whatever they can to, to bust it. Somehow it makes them uneasy if, if you're walking in the fullness of what God has for you. So here he goes. May the king live forever. Why should not my face look sad? Well, that's pretty bold. When the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire, the king said to me, what is it you want? So far, so good. Then I prayed to the God of heaven, shoot up a quick prayer. He didn't, he didn't fall to his knees and, and say, excuse me. He just, Lord, help. And I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah. Now, wait a minute. This is the first time we heard that he was going. We figured he would he'd send a delegation because he's got a job. As he's praying all this time, the Lord said, you're it. You're going. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. Where I can where my fathers are buried so I can rebuild it. Then the king, the queen sitting behind, I love those little side. The queen's over here, there's the king. How long will your journey take? And when will you be back? It's a done deal. Whew. I also asked him, 
If it please the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, Kethra of the king's forest, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. Pretty bold there, Nehemiah. Those four months of praying gave him a confidence in God that when the door opened, he walked through. Reminds me of Morris Fox. Where there's vision, there is progress. That's his famous statement. Where God, uh, God calls you to something, he's going to provide. It's never an issue of finance, but it is an issue of faith. Because issue of finance is an issue of faith. And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted me my requests. So I went to the governor of Trans-Euphrates and gave them. That was, that's what it's called. This section now in this huge Persian empire, this little piece of real estate along the Mediterranean is called literally beyond the river. So it's beyond these two major rivers you read about, the Fertile Crescent, the Tigris and the Euphrates, and it's way out there beyond, beyond the river. So it's, uh, it's that section there, and that's where he's going. It's a long way off. The king also sent army officials and cavalry. Oh, that, that was helpful. Way to go, king. So he basically drove a tank through once God opened the door for him. That really shows that God's in what he's doing. If you get stopped at every point, as you're beginning to fulfill your dream, stop and ask the question, Lord, do I fight or, or is this, am I in the wrong place? So you pray it, then you say it. Okay, he said it to one person so far. He said it to the king. I want to show you how he says the next part because it's really important. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few men I had not told anyone but the king what God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. So what's he doing? He's weighing it. <clears throat> weighing it is where I would say many dreams fail, perhaps most, where you don't take seriously the need to be business-minded, to, to not be stupid, to do things right, to assess things, to analyze things, to ask all the questions, to have people that are at bombarding you with questions so that you do things in an orderly way. Dreams can fail. Businesses can fail here. Here's a statistic that I was told that 95% of startup businesses die within five years. 95%. 60% of franchises succeed. Why? because you team up with somebody, they've, they've done it, they've, they've had some successes. Now, franchises aren't always kind to you. They might suck too much of the money out. But it says something about the need to know what you're doing. Because you're a Christian, you don't be sloppy. You don't do it any way you want because you're a child of God. You do it the best you can. We should be doing it better than anybody else. We should be making things better, buildings better, paintings better, because we've got the Spirit of God living within us and so we pray it and we say it. Now, when is he going to say it to them? 
So he's weighing it. He's looking it over. He's examining the walls. Then he gets down to verse 17. Then I told them. See, when they start asking questions, he's going to have answers because he looked things over. He examined the walls. He knows what the problem is. They're going to be able to, they're going to, be able to talk about this. Then I told them, you see the trouble we are in. I love it. He didn't say, you see the trouble you are in. In other words, he's, we're in this together. We're going we're to do this together. We are in Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. Now he's giving a pet talk, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told him about the gracious hand of God upon me and what the king had said to me. Wow, the king did all that. Sure sounds like God's in this. Encourage them. They replied, this, this is a great verse. Then they replied, let us start rebuilding. Why hadn't they been rebuilding? Because they didn't have a leader, and they were discouraged. And all they saw was rubble every time they walked past that area. And there was no one strong enough to say, we're going to do this. That's when it takes somebody with vision, and it may be one of you here, it takes somebody with vision to see what's needed to see what God could do with somebody who surrendered to his will and open to hear from God, God downloads, here's what you're going to do, Nehemiah. You're going to go back and build the wall. This is how you're going to do it. He had a plan. Chapter 3, read it. It's a great book. And so is Ezra. It's, it'd be fun for you to, to read this whole thing. So you pray it. Let me go back to praying it. Somebody told me, I heard as a young person, prayer is two-way. Ever heard that? I heard that prayer was two-way. I just had never met anybody that believed it. It appeared to me that we did all the talking and God did all the listening. Until I started praying with the person who became my mentor, and we listened. And I actually didn't know what he was doing. Because there were times in a 30-minute section, we prayed every day for, from 6 to 6.30 in the morning, and he would write things down, and half of it, at least, was listening. I'm wondering, why don't we pray more? And I'm wondering what he's writing down. Don't forget to bring the milk. <laughs> then I realized he was listening to God. God was speaking to him during prayer. So he taught me to do that. That part of prayer is listening and that God can speak to you. I'm not sure if I can tell you exactly how God's going to speak to you, but I can tell you that if one way will help you to learn, what? Shut up. <laughs> Just don't talk. <laughs> Listen. Say, I'm not talking, God. Now it's your turn. You can talk to me if you want. I do that often. I'll... I'll Pick a time in the afternoon. I just come with a piece of paper, and I'm listening. He knows it, and he can talk to me if he wants to. And usually, I hear him. Sometimes he doesn't talk. That's okay, too. We don't always have to talk when we're together, do we, Ken? We can just sit there. <laughs> Most of the time, and, but, you know, we go to our learning method. Yeah. I am learning method. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I already, I already knew that. Yeah. So turn to Luke chapter 10. 
which says something about this. Company is coming, and one of the prayers that we have often prayed when company is coming is, Lord, make them late. <laughs> because we're not ready, and we're scurrying around trying to get things done, and you know, kids are going slow, and I'm getting angry and upset. <laughs> oh, come on, let's hurry, let's hurry. So Jesus is entertaining, uh, is going to be entertained by Martha and Mary. And G, uh, Martha's obviously the firstborn here. It says, and Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary. And I want you to see three things about Mary in this passage, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. You know, I thank God for Martha. I thank God for those who are willing to work. I thank you for those who are servants. It's a wonderful thing to be a Martha. We're not putting down Martha here for being a servant, for being a firstborn. Firstborns gave us most of the presidents, gave us most of the pilots, gave us almost all of our astronauts. There's 21 of the first 23 astronauts, including the, all of the seven who are on the first Mercury uh, were firstborns. Firstborns are a gift. Firstborns are lead, tend to be leaders tend to be out there. This first, firstborns can also have issues of perfectionism, have issues of, hey, I, we got to do it right. And here's Martha, I got to get it ready. Help me. And Mary at his feet, Martha's in his face. And when you're a firstborn and you're trying to get it done and others are sitting around, you, you don't you? Don't you feel like you got to get them going? So she had uh, some firstborn mandate plus a social mandate, hospitality mandate. She had a sister called Mary. Martha was distracted with all the preparation. She came to him and said, Lord, don't you, this is funny. Don't you care? My sister has left me to do the work by myself. Isn't that, isn't that so typical? I mean, doesn't that sound, that, that happens at every home about once a week. To do all the work by myself. Tell her to help me. Hey, you're talking to Jesus, the Son of God. Get out of his face. <laughs> Martha, Martha. How many of you know when your name is repeated, it's not going to be a joke? <laughs> Martha, Martha. The Lord replied, you are worried and upset about many things. Thanks for telling me, Lord. She felt it, but only one thing is needed, Mary. Jesus did not defend Martha's distraction and Martha's anxiety. He did not say, Martha, that's a good thing that you're being distracted by. He defended Mary, who was sitting. And I've, I've, I've been distracted where I've had some people sitting, I said, get up and help. And there are times when I've been absolutely right. Jesus did not defend Martha. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her, even by you. She did a good thing. So three things that Mary did here. What did Mary do? Verbs. Hmm? She sat. Okay. Let's do one at a time. So if you want to hear from God, go ahead and sit. 
Three times in the Gospels, three times we find Mary in the Gospels. Every time she's at the feet of Jesus, every single time. That says something about Mary. She just wants to get from Jesus whatever she can get. If you want to get something from Jesus, try it. Try sitting until, okay, Jesus, here we are. I ain't talking. Anything you want to say? She sat. What's the second thing she did? Listen. Not a bad thing to do. I didn't know how to do it until I was taught by somebody who had been doing it for years. You listen. Third, make good decisions. She chose a good thing. Way to go, Mary. So if you're in a praying mode with regard to a dream, Include those components. Sit with Jesus. See what he says to you. Listen to him. And make good, good choices. So we're going to pray it. We're going to say it. We're going to pick the people. Pick them well. God, who do you want me to share this dream with? I feel like you put something in my heart. I feel like I'm pregnant. Who would be the people that would, that would want to hear this? that would encourage me, that would help me in this, or that would raise some really honest questions that I need to ask, that would talk to me. I'm going to weigh it. Am I at, I'm at that place? I'll analyze it. I'll ask all kinds of questions. I'll, I'll uh, 30, I got all kinds of questions that I, uh, in, a, uh, in a sequel to Dare to Dream, lots of questions, 20 questions that I want to ask, to make sure that this dream was the Lord, and the timing, it's for now. And then I'd pay it. What do I mean by that? Dreams are free, but you'll pay for them. Gifts are free, but you'll pay for gifts. You understand what I'm saying? You pay a price to work for the Lord. I think of a a man in our church, every time we had something where we need, we need real discernment, I called Roy Jones because Roy had discernment. He could literally smell a demon. Believe me. He'd go into, uh, we'd go together because someone was saying, hey, we got things going on at night, lights going off and on, and we got sounds, and we're not sure what it is, but it seems a little weird to us. It's freaking us out, and would you mind coming over? I said, sure, I'll be over. Let's do it Friday night. I'd call Roy. Roy said, wherever I am, I'll be there. He told me to tell him that. He traveled the world. He was an engineer. Sometimes went to Arabia. Uh, but he said, I'll be there when you need me. He paid a price for that. He had a gift. It was free, but he paid for it. Your dream, you'll pay for it. Now, that's not a threat. It's just understanding that you'll, you lay down your life, right? It's not about you. It's about God and his purpose. It's Nehemiah. He paid a price. He left his job, went there. You see the opposition? Have you read the book? Read it sometime this week if you get a chance to and see all the opposition. He was fighting a battle. It was dangerous. They prayed with swords because they were coming under physical attack. Ultimately, you have to obey it. And it'll take a risk to obey it. 
You can't just stand on the edge and waiting for someone to push you off. You say, I'm going for this. I had people that warned me, good friends, who said, Paul, people have tried to do what you're trying to do before. There are all kinds of skeletons along the seashore of schools that just went <laughs> that didn't make it. And they were friends. I said, I know. I don't care if I fail. But I am going to go for it. I said that on 35W in the car to myself, to the Lord. As I was traveling down, I just walked in. I said, it's a done deal. We're going to go for it. God spoken. God put it in my heart. I have to obey. You have to. How can you say, Lord, Lord, and not do what I say, Jesus said. So at some point, when God is stirred in your heart, you know it's of him. At some point, you've got to take the risk and just obey, right? So we want to cheer you on in what God has told you to do. And if you have prayed something and you believe God has spoken to you, or you're in that process and you want us to, to support you and to uh, pray with you in that process, we want to hear what God's put on your heart. And because we'd like to hear from a variety of people, whatever stage it's in, uh, just share it. We're not going to break up into small groups today because we want to share what's, what God has put on your heart. And just take about a minute so that we can give enough time to anybody who wants to. So if you're, if you're thinking of something, you're not sure, and you haven't prayed much, pray a little more. But if you feel like you have prayed and it's settled in your heart, and you've, it's been there a while, and you want to share it with us so we can pray for you, we're going to write these things down. Someone help me by... Uh, Anybody want to be a scribe today and just write down? Uh, okay, thank you, Sharon. Just uh, should have brought a computer down. Yeah, somebody give her some paper. <laughs>